Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have Mary Beach, who is the CMO of Kate Spade. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi, Nadine. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. So I thought we'd kick off today with uh, just a quick idea on what your current role is today and how uh, you came to be at Kate Spade. Sure. Uh, I, as you said, I'm the chief marketing officer of Kate Spade New York, which is a, a global handbag manufacturer and a lifestyle brand. Frankly, we have over 29 different product categories. Um, I oversee all of the marketing creative, the marketing strategy, public relations, um, corporate social responsibility, visual merchandising, a whole host of things. Um, CRM uh, is also data. Data analytics are under me, um, as well as licensing in terms of the businesses we do that I uh, we don't vertically manufacturer. So really the whole host of, of marketing um, disciplines fall under me. And I came here five years ago. It was five years um, in January, the middle of January. So kind of a big milestone for me for both being back in New York and being Kate Spade. And my last organization, I was at the Walt Disney Company at Disney Consumer Products for almost 13 years. And then left that uh, wonderful company to come out here to New York to be the CMO of Kate Spade. Oh, wow. That's, that's a great journey. And did you think you were ever going to become a CMO in your career? Was this something you set out to accomplish or where did you start? Sure. I, I, don't, I don't think that was uh, something that I thought when I was tiny, um, that that's what I wanted to be. But I've always been a, a very ambitious person and a very driven person um, and someone who wanted to do my best in everything that I did. So I knew that I would kind of work very hard and get to the top of, of a different area, whatever area I might be interested in. But no, as a kid, I think I wanted to be a marine biologist or an actress. Um, Two very related things, but (laughs) as kids do. Um, But no, I I actually, in college, um, majored in theater and history, which in no way set me up, um, at least on paper, to be a CMO. Um, I originally, when I came home my sophomore year, um, had decided I was going to uh, major in theater with a minor in women's studies. And my father, who was uh, an executive in real estate, um, 
claimed that that would make me unemployable. Um, <laughs> immediately said that, that a theater major and a women's studies minor would be uh, unemployable. So I decided to compromise given that uh, he had had a successful career and, and was someone I looked to for advice and do the history and theater double major, which I think he was equally unimpressed with. <laughs> but when I look when I look back at my background, I'm, I'm very thankful for what I majored in. I mean, in terms of history, I can write. Um, and a lot of marketing is is writing and t- a compelling story um, and being able to um, convey that through words. And then in terms of theater, um, it helps me in everything that I do. I am a storyteller, first and foremost. I love to tell great stories, whether that is on the stage or that is the story of a brand to a customer. And part of being in the theater and being in a live audience with a live audience is being able to react to that audience, to read the audience, to um, know what they want from you and what the other actors on stage want from you. And I use that every day in meetings that I have. I use it every day in um, getting my ideas across and getting other people's ideas across the finish line. And I absolutely use it in terms of listening to our customer and responding to them with the stories that will be most compelling for them and will incite them to the actions that we want them to take. So I'm very thankful for my two majors and have not had issues with employment. So my father should be very happy. Absolutely. Sounds a lot like my father, actually. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This show is not about me. Uh, So, um, well, you mentioned that you did a minor in women's study, and I know that you are still extremely passionate about that topic. You were just sharing with me that you just came back from Rwanda. Can you talk a little bit about your mission there and what you've been able to accomplish? Sure. One of the areas that I am privileged enough to oversee here at Kate Spade is corporate social responsibility. We have a foundation um, that is focused on empowering women to transform communities and focused here in the New York market where we're based. In addition to that, we have a program called On Purpose that we launched five years ago. Uh, We found a, a factory in Masoro, Rwanda, which is a small town in Rwanda. Um, And that factory manufactures about 3% of our handbags. So again, it's tied into empowering women to transform their communities um, because it's a a very well-known fact that a dollar in a woman's pocket goes back to the community um, in a significant way and and about 50% greater than a dollar in a man's pocket. Um, And so empowering women, employing women to make beautiful handbags for us that are fully integrated into our supply chain, fully integrated into the customer's experience with the brand. Um, It's been an unbelievable program and such a privilege to be a part of whenever I go over to get the chance to go over to Rwanda. I come back so inspired by these women and a few good men um, who are just making so much progress and really making an impact on their community and an impact on us internally and with our customers. Absolutely. So it sounds like you have so many different parts of the puzzle coming together for you. And, you know, whether it's leveraging your history or theater or passion for helping others, I was going to ask you what you love most about being a CMO, but it's almost like I should ask you what you don't love about being a CMO. (laughs) So tell me what, what, what inspires you to go to work every day? What inspires you to be in the role that you're in? When I look back at my whole life and try to think what are the common threads through the things that I've thoroughly enjoyed, the common thread for me has been working with creative people, uh, whether that was being in the theater. And listen, I'm, I'm pretty honest with myself. I was a fine actress. I was not setting the world on fire with my acting talent, <laughs> but I loved being part of the theater. I loved being with that community, whether on the stage or behind the stage, and really 
helping creative, really creative folks bring their vision and their dreams and making them a reality. Um, I then, you know, was able to do that in my first jobs at Ann Taylor and Ralph Lauren, both great storytelling companies, in particular, Ralph Lauren, just an amazing master storyteller um, and a huge quantity of enormously creative people and being able to work with them to tell their story. I married a creative. Um, my husband of 19 years is a production designer for film and television and so I work with him to make his creative dreams a reality. And then here at Kate Spade, uh, I love telling stories. I love working with creative folks. Um, I skip Disney. I mean, master storytellers. You can't find a, a more brilliant company when it comes to storytelling and some of the most creative people on the planet. And so all those things combined, I get to come to work every day uh, and, and make amazing creative and work with amazingly creative people and help them remove the barriers to have their vision and their talent seen by the world. Um, and that's the part that just, um, you know, makes me so excited to go to work each day. Oh, that's great. And when you came Kate Spade, would you say there were any new skills or new things that you had to adopt or learn or, or integrate into your new role? Yes, there was a number of things that I oversaw, in particular um, public relations, that I had never overseen before. Uh, I certainly had a lot of respect for public relations and its role within the marketing mix, but it always had set set separately um, at both Ralph Lauren and at Disney. And so I just made sure to hire someone incredibly brilliant into that role. I feel very comfortable leading people, but my key mantra is to hire the smartest people I can into every single role, ideally smarter than me. Um, and I'm able to find that without a problem. Uh, there's great people out there in these different functional areas. And then just make sure that I'm supporting them, not in their direct area of expertise, which I don't have experience in, but in providing a clear vision, providing clear objectives for what we need to do as a business and as a brand, and then removing any barriers that they have in terms of meeting those objectives and that vision. Yeah, you remind me of uh, the podcast that I did with Deborah Wall, where she was talking about having to make mindful decisions every day about how and where you spend your time. Um, and, and that's a great example you just gave on giving direction. How do you think about your priority list during the day? Um, and I know you have natural love for a lot of the pieces of it, but how do you decide where you're going to spend your time? Really, when I when I start my day, it's where am I needed to make the greatest impact? Where is there an area that needs my particular expertise, not necessarily um, the place that I want to spend my time, but where my time is most needed? And I really am, have learned, and, and it is, did not come naturally necessarily, I'm someone who definitely can have tendencies toward micromanagement, um, but I've learned um, as an executive that it is about empowering great people and letting them do their jobs. And so I have to gut check myself, really be honest with myself. Am I stepping into and doing people's jobs or am I putting my time and my effort where my time and my effort is most needed, not where it's most comfortable for me? I think a lot of times we know, honestly, in a dark room at night, we know what we love to do and what's harder for us. And we have to be honest during the day and say, if we're just spending our time where we're happy to spend our time, that's not necessarily the best use and really be honest. And I use a, um, I heard about it on a podcast, but it, it's a map I use for my day and really for my week um, of four quadrants. And I divide my kind of 
tasks to some degree, but more um, strategic objectives into four areas each week. And those include driving the business is one quadrant, leadership and culture. Culture is a second quadrant, brand aspiration, which obviously for us is so important, and then tactical, because whether we like it or not, they're tactical aspects of our jobs. And I dutifully do that every Sunday night and break down the week into that. And listen, changes happen. By Monday morning at 9 a.m., that list can be shot. But at least you went into the week knowing what it is that you want to try to accomplish um, and where you're most needed. That's a really great tip. Uh, Again, you remind me of, of so many amazing tips that are out there. I'd love to have a place to just gather all these amazing tips. So I'm going to work on that next. Um, oh, I would love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so helpful. Um, but you remind me of uh, Musa Tariq, who is the chief brand officer at Ford. He put out this post, uh, maybe it was a week or so ago. And he said, you know, this weekend, just spend time on yourself, grab a blank sheet of paper and think about where you want to go, what, you know, where yep. your what direction your career is going to take. And it sounds like you do a, a great job at mapping your priorities. Have you ever, you know, sat down and said, okay, here's where I am. Here's kind of where I think I want to go. And here's how I'm going to get there. Absolutely. I would say the most pivotal moment for that was sort of maybe two years before I left the Walt Disney Company. I loved my job. Disney is one of the, the greatest companies that um, I know and that I've ever had the privilege of working for. And I loved what I was doing. But I'd been doing it for 12 years. And I was beginning to get concerned that if I did it forever, frankly, I was beginning to have conversations about pension. And I thought, you know, I am just 40 years old and I'm thinking about my pension. I'm thinking about being Disney at Disney for the next 30 years. And that's not necessarily where I saw myself. And is this actually what I want. And I really had to be honest with myself because there was many things, the people at Disney, I loved my team. I loved the work that I was doing. It was constantly changing. The company affords you a lot of new opportunities. So even though I'd been there 12 years, I'd done maybe 10 different jobs within those 12 years. So it didn't feel monotonous. But I thought that I had more to offer and something different to offer. And I really sat down and I said to myself, within the next three years, I want to have fully explored if I can become a CMO at a brand. And I had just started to have conversations and think about it when I got the call um, from Kate Spade. And, and you can file it on your, under your tips section, but um, I definitely have a tip of never burn a bridge because my, the call from Kate Spade came from my former CEO at Ralph Lauren. He had been the president of the uh, retail division at Ralph Lauren. I had left the company 13 years later, uh, 13 years earlier. He had been so important to me at the time that he actually came to my wedding, but we had fallen out of touch. He wasn't on social media. He still isn't on social media. Um, And we had fallen out of touch and he had become the CEO of Kate Spade and was calling me to see if I would consider the CMO role. And um, it was, you know, kind of a match made in heaven in that I loved Kate Spade. I carried the handbags. I had always been a fan of the brand. And I would get to be a first-time CMO with a CEO who knew me, whom I'd worked for for six years, albeit at a much younger and more junior position. Um, And, you know, I credit him a lot for being able to say, hey, there was this great senior director I worked with at Ralph Lauren 13 years ago, and I think she would make a great CMO. I've you know, checked her out on LinkedIn. She seems like she's got a great career. Um, and he gave me the call. And so I'm glad I sat down and did that work so that I had thought through the fact that 
I might be ready for the next thing. Um, and I'm very glad that I left Ralph Lauren under the right circumstances and um, left a positive impression on Craig so that he would call me up for the job. Oh my gosh. That's like three or four good tips in there again. Yeah. I love it. Um, you know, and it's amazing because it speaks to the power of visualization and, and just how incredibly fortuitous that at that moment in time, you had just sat down and became intentional about thinking of this and then boom, the phone rang. So that's, that's yeah. very uh, goosebumpish almost. Um, Absolutely. So, oh my gosh. Okay. So, so you took this on and now what? What's next? You know, I, I think about that quite often. I think that, um, you know, as, as a, a female executive, I am working at a company now that is 85% women the vast majority of them under the age of 35. It is a huge honor to be in this role, not only as a female executive in this position, but as a mother of two and a wife and playing all of these different roles that I have and, and trying to set an example and an honest example. Um, I really am honest, honest when I get the chance to talk about how hard that is to manage um, with the women that work here at Kate Spade. Um, so I feel like I'm in this just perfect spot. I love the brand. I love the stories that we tell. I love the work that I get to do. Um, but I obviously think that there's you know, a lot more out there. So I'm always excited about what's coming next. And at Kate Spade, thankfully, we have a brand new creative director who started in January. Um, and she has a lot of great new ideas about the brand. So as a marketer, it's like, oh my gosh, that's so fun. We get to completely evolve um, what we're doing. Not, not a revolution, but an evolution of what we're doing. And um, nothing's more fun than that. But I feel like there's Sometimes I feel like there's a reason I'm here right now at this company that's all largely women um, in the life stage that I'm in as a 46-year-old woman. And there's something kind of very magical about that right now. And I feel like I have a role to play not only in leading this company's marketing, but also in setting an example for the women that work here. Absolutely. You know, it's so, it's so funny. I just released uh, Diego Scotti's podcast this morning and he made me laugh so hard because he said he never got a better education than when he went to work at Vogue and he was the minority uh, in an 80, yeah. person, <laughs> 80 person team, predominantly all women. Um, it was one of the best experiences of his life. Um, but, uh, but tell, uh, this is fascinating because there's so many women that could use some helpful tips on how you do it all. I mean, like you said, you are a CMO, you are a wife and a mother. And I think when we were talking about this um, a couple of weeks ago, you said, it's actually no, Nadine, I'm a wife first, I'm a mother second, I'm an executive third. Can you talk about your philosophy there and how you manage it all? Yes. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I entirely managed it all perfectly, but um, I do try my best. Uh, the, that order of things is incredibly important to me. I'm a wife first, I'm a mother second, I'm an executive third, because I came about it after screwing it up, frankly. Uh, when I had my kids and I had my first daughter in 2004 and my second daughter in 2006, um, it was a shock. I mean, I think I thought I had it together, but I definitely didn't. And I hadn't thought about prioritizing it at all. But if I actually stepped back and looked at what I was doing, um, I was putting either the kids or work first, but frequently work. Um, and then my husband was sort of, I'll get to you when the kids go to college. I, I don't know that I ever said that out loud, but that was definitely kind of the attitude I had. We were sort of co-partners in this, how do we both be working parents and um, have, you know, ha have these kids and these very demanding careers. 
And I'm in a, um, you know, not, not a unique situation, but my situation is that I'm the made breadwinner, yet my husband's career is incredibly time demanding of him. He frequently is away on set. Um, in many years, he's gone six months of the year in a different state or a different country working on a film. So, um, and, and it's something that, you know, I could do many things in this world. I love being a CMO. My husband is meant to be a production designer. That is like what he was born to be. And so I want him to be able to fulfill that dream. And, but it's hard. It's hard to manage all those things. And I messed it up. And around 2011, when my kids were, you know, five and, and seven, um, I found myself on the brink of divorce. And I thought, you know what, this isn't what I want. I actually love this man. I want to spend the rest of my life with him. I love my kids and I love my job. And I got to figure this out. Um, this is a lot on us. And we worked very hard on it. But some of it was on me. And I recast it and said, you know what, I'm going to be wife number one, because you have to put on your own, uh, your own uh, oxygen mask first on the airplane. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, I, I commit myself to that. And then I'm going to make sure that my kids know that they are incredibly important. And then I'm going to still be a great executive because I love what I do. And I'm a better wife and a better mother because of the hours that I spend here at the office and the work that I do. And since that time, it's been a lot more stable. And I have lots of little tips for that and tricks that I do and that my husband and I do to make that work. But we've been able to figure it out, not without bumps, but we've definitely been able to figure it out. Okay. So I'm totally conflicted if I want to spend the rest of the time on this podcast going through <laughs> each of your tips because I, I, I can relate and uh, need to do a better job of all these things that you're talking about myself. Um, but uh, well, let, let's start with at least one. What's your favorite tip that we can share? I guess with? the one that I think made the biggest, biggest impact for me is that my husband and I don't share responsibilities. We delegate responsibilities. So frequently if if you take on things that come up as they come up in the life of your children, the woman ends up doing everything. We multitask better. We end up thinking of the things first, so we end up doing them all. So we actually delegated things completely. Kurt owns footwear entirely. If the children's shoes don't fit, I don't even think about it. Even if he's in another state or another country, if someone's shoes don't fit, he is responsible for buying those shoes. He also owns doctors. I don't make doctor's appointments. I don't go to doctor's appointments. I've actually proudly never been to the orthodontist. I've never been to the dentist. And I only went to the doctor once. Um, and I'm not responsible for the appointments or following up on that. He entirely owns that whatever state that he's in. And if, uh, you know, we have a nanny who frequently takes him to the doctors if they need to go while he's not here. But it's not a shared responsibility. He owns that. I entirely own babysitters. He's never scheduled a babysitter. He's never booked a babysitter. He's never been involved in a babysitter. Um, and I largely own vacations. Uh, if we're going on a vacation, I'm planning it. I'm organizing it. But we completely divide tasks so that I'm not telling him how to do the doctors or footwear or any of the other things that he owns. And he's not telling me how to do the vacations or the babysitters. We just divide them completely. Oh, I love that. You know, I, I volunteer for scheduling vacations too, because then that kind of ensures I get to go where I want to go. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I have a couple of years not taken a poll um, and ended up maybe not in the exact place that I wanted to do. So I think it's going to become more of a dictatorship and less of a democracy in terms of that. <laughs> oh my God, we could talk about this forever. Um, oh, I love it. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to ring myself back in here. Okay. So what other tips could you share for women who are trying to juggle their time as an executive? Let's, let's zero in on that. I think 
one of the things that I see women do is worry, worry, worry a ton about how they're showing up at work. And if they have to run out to a doctor's appointment, if they have to run to do something with their kids, they feel an enormous amount of guilt and they shouldn't. They should just do that because that's part of their life and that is part of their job. And it should just be saying to their boss directly, I'm not going to be here at three o'clock. I have an outside an appointment. I'll be back at four. I'll take this thing is taken care of. It'll be done here and not apply guilt to what they're doing, but just it's a fact of life. It is something that needs to happen. If, you know, if their refrigerator all of a sudden stopped working and they had to be home for the refrigerator repair person, they wouldn't feel guilty about it. It's just a fact. It needs to get fixed. But somehow when it involves our children, um, there's a level of guilt that we apply to it that we really shouldn't. And I think we just need to show up and do the best job that we can possibly do and not feel in any way bad about that. And um, I always try to, you know, demonstrate that with women and, and role model that in the way that I approach my work here. I'm very open about the challenges in my life um, and open about the time that I'm in the office and how hard and dedicated I work when I'm here um, and then feel no guilt when I need to walk out in order to do something with my kids. Uh, that's that's a really great tip. So l- let's talk about your teams then, because you have uh, spent a lot of time thinking about how to organize and lead your teams. Um, can you talk a little bit about your approach? Sure. I am in a very unique situation right now. For the first time in my career, I have an all-female leadership team. Um, it only happened, I guess, about two years ago that I ended up uh, having an all-female leadership team, which is just amazing and experience. It's a unique experience. Um, I would completely welcome a man to join my team at any point. It just, I looked around one day and said, wow, I have all women here. And obviously with 85% women, it's, the odds are high, but I'd never had that experience. And I lead my team in hiring the best possible people, as I mentioned earlier, really the smartest people that I can find to do those jobs and the most well-suited for each of those jobs. And then again, really empowering them with a clear vision and allowing them to do their job to the best of their ability. So sometimes my day is removing barriers, removing problems, helping solve problems. I look at my team and say, I have an amazing head of creative. She is one of the most talented individuals I have ever worked with. uh, And I consider it a privilege every day to be able to work with her. If she is spending time worrying about uh, something that is occurring on her team that I can easily step in and help fix for her, um, I would rather her time spent elsewhere. Her time is so valuable and her brain power is so valuable that if something is using up a lot of that brain power, it's my job and the people I put in place um, to help remove those barriers and remove those problems. So I hire the best people and then I structure them in a way that there is clear ownership. I don't like a lot of duplication between individual team members. Collaboration, yes. We're a highly collaborative department and a collaborative workplace, but not a lot of duplication of effort because you need everybody to have clear roles and responsibilities. So no, no time is spent with politics. So that, that's really great advice too. I, I have known a few people who have been very intentional of removing boundaries. Um, and also growing their leadership skills. So as you've evolved in your career and taken on more and more and more responsibility, were there things that you did along the way to, to say, beef up your leadership skills? Or was it something you truly just learned being on the job? Were there mentors involved? How did you uh, grow those skill sets? The defining moment for me in being a leader came um, 
kind of in the late 2008, 2009 time period when I was at Disney. And Disney, because it's a large company, has great resources in terms of learning and development. And one of the processes they had was one of a 360 review. And I had the opportunity to do a 360 review probably every two years. And they were always incredibly insightful. But this one particular one, um, I did a 360 review with my team, my you know, management, my direct reports, my peers, and I got the feedback. And the feedback, I remember, I can remember where I was sitting. They had sent us back to our hotel room. We were at the Disneyland Hotel. And they had sent us back to our hotel rooms with, you know, Mickey Mouse icons all over the place and to read these results. And I remember reading them in it. And the summary said that, you know, everybody within the company, whether it was a peer, whether it was a direct report, whether it was leadership, wanted me on a team or a project because they knew it was going to have a clear vision and that it would execute flawlessly. And I was like, yes. But then the second line was, but no one is going to enjoy the process. Oops. And I, what? What? I was shocked. What do you mean no one's going to enjoy the process? I'm awesome to be around. And I had to think about it a lot. I remember being incredibly angry. I think I went through all stages of grief about it in that one evening in that one hotel room. And the next day we did this exercise where you learned about your personality, driver, analytic, amiable, expressive, that, that kind of um, process that's used. And I learned that I was a driver driver. So I was a driver at work and then I only flexed to a driver. I didn't flex to any other style. And the little code word they used was that how I liked people to be with me was to be brief, be bright, be gone. And I was like, this is crazy. I do not act like that. And I took it home. They gave it to us on a little red, red squishy cube, you know, those like distress balls. <laughs> and I took it home to my husband. I remember he was sitting in the living room and I said, can you believe they gave me this thing? Be brief, be bright, be gone. And he looked up and he said, can we emblazon that over the front door? <laughs> like, okay, so clearly I have to acknowledge. And, and I really thought a lot about the fact that I'm a great friend. I consider myself a great family member. Um, I consider myself someone that people want to be around. And that I didn't want to have an experience in the time that I'm spending away from my kids and the time that I'm spending away from my family in which I was a really needed executive, but that no one was going to enjoy being around. And I worked very hard with human resources, with myself, um, with, you know, various team members to just say, what do I need to change? What are the small things that I need to do to and big things that I need to do? Um, and it, it was a period of maybe a year and I made a fundamental shift in that I wanted to leave an impact as a leader not as someone who executed well, not as someone who just had great vision and strategy. I wanted to be an excellent leader. And that that involved empathy, that involved listening, that involved caring about my people as people, because we have work selves and, and home selves, but they all show up in one. Uh, bifurcation is nearly impossible. And that I wanted people to look back on me during my time and say, wow, she was a great leader. She led us to great places and in a positive way and has had an impact on us as individuals and as us as professionals. And that's what I've tried to do ever since. That is such great advice. And you know what, Mary, I could ask you questions all day long and just sit here and try to soak it all up. Um, and it's, a, it's really unfortunate we don't have more time today, but maybe um, there'll be a part two here in the near future. Uh, oh, happily. I would love that. Um, I think a lot of people would love that too. Um, but before I ask you my last question, let me just open it up to you. Uh, anything at all that you want to share uh, 
that you would want to pass along to someone who is either aspiring to be a CMO one day or is a CMO and trying to up their game? Like what would be your number one tip? We talked at one point about kind of pivotal moments in my career and and in an individual's career. And when I look back, it was the moments where I was most scared about that next step that really created a huge change for me. So I would say that as you're becoming a CMO and or becoming along the path to be a CMO or whatever path that you want to take, don't be afraid of taking risks. Sometimes risks with the brand that you're on, obviously risks with the business, you know, try new things, but also risks with yourself. Take that job that you think might be a little crazy or that you're not quite ready for. Take an assignment that's outside of the typical areas of responsibility that you have. Um, learn, go to a, a seminar that is not one of the things that you're normally very good at. If you realize that you're missing something in your um, kind of career portfolio that you think will be important to you as a CMO, you're, you're not good at numbers and, and accounting, you're not good at data, learn those things now. Take a role where you have to learn those things. Don't just do it as a side project. Because when I look back, it's those moments of going, wow, you know, I really need to take this job that's going to stretch me in towards terms of leadership because it's building a whole team, which is something I got a chance to do when I headed up um, consumer products for Pixar animation, or I'm going to take the CMO role, even though I've never been a CMO before, or I'm going to lead a new line of business that I've never directly managed. I've never had a direct PL. All of those moments, I didn't say, wow, I'm not ready. I had prepped myself enough that I felt like I had a good backdrop. And then I just said, I'm scared and that's good. If I'm scared, it means it's the right choice. And I try to do that in every aspect of what I do here as a CMO, but also in my personal life. Well, thank you for that. So I'm almost afraid to ask this question, but I'm going to take your advice. (laughs) I'm scared, but I'm going to ask this because it's going to be a wild, cool answer, I'm sure. So last question. If you were not a CMO, what would you be? Mm, That's an excellent question. I was not a CMO. I'd actually like to be in politics. Uh, When I was 16 years old, I had a birthday party where everybody had to come dressed uh, as what they would be 16 years later uh, in their their 30s. And it was an amazing party. I highly suggest it as a party theme. We got super creative answers. But I came dressed as the first woman president. Uh, At that time, I really was passionate about politics and wanting to be involved in them. And I ended up along a different path. I've been down a different path um, and I'm very happy with where I am today. But I have to say that um, my recent interest in politics uh, has been renewed and um, I'm definitely thinking more about it, although it's not not in the cards for the short term. But I think I would definitely be in politics. I don't know if I would be the first woman president, but um, I would love to be involved in, in leadership um, on that level at some point. Wow. Well, you would make a fierce contribution and I love that. You need to, I'm going to root, uh, vote for, I'll vote for you. How about that? Thank you very much, Nadine. One vote. That's great. You and my mother. So I have two actually. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, we, we're on the start. We, we can see you. We can see the strength. Uh, well, Mary, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was great fun. Absolutely. And we'll schedule that part two for sometime soon because I know there's going to be a lot of questions. Absolutely. Thanks, Nadine. Thanks. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 